Migrate to Wealth listeners. Today's episode, we'll be talking to Eric Oliver, my good friend and a cost segregation expert. You will hear in this episode some references to a tax advisory episode that was scheduled to be released before cost segregation episode. Unfortunately, we're having some scheduling conflicts given that it's another year and we could not bring the tax advisor in time. But I didn't want to wait for the cost segregation episode any longer because cost segregation is the basis for bonus depreciation and the bonus depreciation is going to start to phase out. This year is the last year where you can still take 100% of bonus depreciation and next year it becomes 80 and then 60 and then 40 and eventually it becomes zero. So in the next five years, you're not going to be able to avail the advantage of uh, cost segregation. I know it's only 15 days or 17 days left in this year, or maybe 18, because it's 31st of December. We still have enough time to discuss cost segregation. Eric is available for you to talk to him in more detail. We wanted to make sure that if you needed to take advantage of cost segregation, you still have the time to do that. Well, sit back and enjoy. Take some notes. Give us some reviews. We look forward to hearing from you. Typically, real estate, for most of us, treated as passive income unless we are real estate investors full-time. So unless you have real estate professional status for tax purposes, those depreciation expenses are typically used to offset passive income. Are you ready to transform your life? This is a no-nonsense show helping immigrants like you create generational wealth, even while working full-time. Get ready to take notes. Here's your host, Socket Jane. Welcome, everyone, to next episode of Migrate to Wealth. Today, I have the pleasure to introduce to you my good friend, Eric Oliver. Eric is the cost segregation expert that I know for. Like He is the one that I go to for all my personal cost segregation analysis. He has never let me down. He's definitely saved me a ton of money. So cost segregation, for those of you who did not tune in to the episode just before Eric's episode, the previous episode, we talked about cost segregation at length. And we thought that this show, having a cost segregation expert on our show, is going to give you a little bit more perspective and insight into what that exactly is. So Eric, this is the extent of my understanding of cost segregation. So I'll pass the baton to you. But before we go deep into that, give a brief introduction of who you are, what you do, where you're from, what does your firm do? Yeah, so thanks, Lockett. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, you've been a great client of ours for a number of years, so I appreciate the opportunity to hopefully shed some light on cost segregation. Um, my background, I've been doing cost segregation now for about seven years. My degree is in accounting, and so we work with CPAs and investors across the country on cost segregation. So our firm's kind of unique where we don't do tax returns, but we just do cost segregation. So we would typically partner with folks like yourself or your CPA to do these cost segregation studies. And that's kind of how we fit in in terms of cost segregation. So Awesome. And Eric, where are you based out of for our listeners? Yeah, based out of Salt Lake City, Utah. So um, Beautiful place. Been out here west. It is a gorgeous place. So Awesome. Awesome. So Eric, uh, as I remind my listeners all the time that our show's name is Migrate to Wealth, and the most important word there is not wealth although we all want it to be the most important word. The most important word there is migrate, which for our show, the theme is intentional migration, intentional transformation, right? So the theme for this show we want to keep is how can we bring cost segregation as an intentional component of our tax savings, be it a multifamily, a single family, a self-storage unit, or whatever we need to do, right? So that's kind of like we want to stick with that theme of bringing intentionality into cost segregation 
and also talk about the boundary line. Are there control lines where, um, that the IRS has provided us where we need to operate with them? So having said that, Eric, tell us about your migration story. How did you get to do what you're doing right now? Yeah, that's a great question. So I'll start back with just my accounting degree. So I went to college out of high school and I was in college for a few years, thought I wanted to be a doctor because doctors make a lot of money. I think we all thought we wanted to be doctors at one point. So I did that route for a few years and I'm like, I've had enough of the schooling stuff. How do I get out of here? English was not my suit, never really good at English. Math always came easy. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to get either a finance degree or an accounting degree because that'll Mm -hmm. get me out of here as possible. Ended up in an accounting degree, never really used my accounting degree um, early on in my career. I, I kind of got into a sales job for another company that took me from Salt Lake back to the East Coast, mm-hmm. lived in Richmond, Virginia for a number of years. Are you serious, man? Then, I didn't realize in Richmond, Virginia. Yeah. I am, I'm two hours south of uh, Richmond, uh, Raleigh, yeah. North Carolina. Well, that is, yeah. That is the great thing about Richmond is that we're two hours from everything. You're two hours from D.C., two hours from Raleigh, two hours from Virginia Beach. Right. Two hours, you go west, you're two hours to the mountains. And so right. um, Richmond was great. Lived in Richmond for 10 years. Um then took a job with my father-in-law. My father-in-law has a landscape company he's had for 30 years in Long Island, New York. And so my wife and I went up there. We were going to potentially buy the business, um, ended up not buying it and wanted to come back out west. And so I came across this job. I actually, to be honest with you, I was just looking for um, either a sales job or an accounting job. That was my background. And so came across this company called Cost Segregation Authority, who was headquartered here. They were looking for a salesperson. And so Got into it, um, learned cost segregation. Didn't know what it was at the time, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I had to do a lot of learning. So learned what it was and now have just fallen in love with it. So got me into real estate. That's really what got me into real estate. I had a rental property prior to joining Cost Segregation Authority. Um, we had had our home, our primary home in Richmond. When we left to go to New York, we kept that as a mm-hmm. rental. But really always wanted to dabble in real estate and being with cost segregation, it's really given me the opportunity to dive deep into real estate. Learning has been great. We go and present at conferences and CPA firms all across the country. And so be with like-minded people like yourself at these conferences or meet with CPAs and talk about real estate. It's really given me a good foundation of real estate investing and, and tax savings, quite honestly. So we do a lot of tax seminars where we learn about some of the latest strategies mm-hmm. on tax savings. So um, that's kind of how I got into cost segregation and, quite frankly, investing. So um, you just touched like three favorite topics of mine, conferences, real estate, <laughs> and tax savings in just last few seconds. I love that. That's what I love about you, man. So Eric, thank you for sharing that. So there's a lot of golden nuggets in there, right? But I'm going to pull a thread that uh, that's going to be very important for our listeners. So sure. We keep hearing the word cost segregation. Of course, I can describe the word, uh, but I want to let's hear it because we have an expert here, which is you. Let's hear it from you. What is cost segregation? Sure. So cost segregation really is just accelerated depreciation on your real estate assets. So one of the great benefits of owning real estate and why a lot of us get into real estate is for the tax savings. When you own or buy a commercial building, for example, you typically get to depreciate that over 39 years. Mm -hmm. So to make the math easy, let's say you buy a $390,000 office suite, you're going to get about a $10,000 write-off every year for the next 39 years. Now, that write-off is treated like a non-cash expense. So you've got your income, your expenses, and then what's left is your taxable income. And so the more expenses you have, 
the lower your taxable income mm -hmm. is. And so having that $10,000 write-off is great to be able to write off some of my income. Now, so cost let segregation... Just, let's slow down for a second just to make sure we follow. So what you're basically saying is you have your real income, you have your yep. real expenses, but on top of, you, top of it, you had some expenses that really didn't happen. But because of our IRS policies, we're able to add those as an expenses, which essentially is the depreciation of the property. Did I capture it correctly? Yep, you're exactly right. They're non-cash expenses. So I didn't have to come out of my pockets 10000 for this expense. Because I bought the property, and the IRS says, hey, that property deteriorates slowly every year. They say it takes 39 years for it to deteriorate sure. down to zero, essentially. So we're going to let you take a $10,000 expense every year. And that's called straight line or standard depreciation. So that's a lot of your investors, a lot of the listeners will probably, you buy a property, you take the closing statement, you give it to your CPA, they put it on the books as a 39-year asset, you depreciate it over 39 years, which is great. I'll take a $10,000 write-off all day long. And that 39 and a half years, is that determined by you or your accountant, your CPA, sure. or IRS? No, that's a great question. So the IRS determines that. So for commercial properties, anywhere where people don't live, you depreciate those over 39 years. Mm -hmm. Any residential properties, single family homes, multifamily apartments, senior housing, those all get depreciated over 27 and a half years. Got it. Got it. So <laughs> you basically take the price of the building, right? And you divide that building by that many number of years, whatever the IRS gives you the guideline. 20 years, yep. 27 years, 39, whatever the number of years there. And that our CPA can tell us that, correct? Yep, exactly. And, and you don't, just to, to make a note, you don't get to depreciate land. So you take your purchase price minus whatever the land is worth. Mm -hmm. And that gives you your building value. Perfect. Call it depreciable basis. That depreciable basis, you divide it by 39 years if it's a commercial building or 27 and a half years if it's a residential building. Got it. That's called straight line depreciation. Now, so sorry, I'm not even letting you go forward with this because there's so many things here that can that. I mean, I want to make sure my listeners are following through this. So, yeah. what we're saying is, when you're buying a building, when you're buying a property, when you're buying an asset class, you take that money and it's equally divided in the number of years. Now, what if somebody had bought the property before me, right? So, let's just say I bought a multifamily, or I bought a single family, or I bought a storage unit. And there have been 20 owners before me who have already taken the depreciation. Can I still take it? Yes. Yeah, so it's all based on the starting date is the date you take ownership and the date you put it into service. Perfect. So anytime it changes hands, there's a new basis because the person before you bought it for a million, but you've now bought it for two million. And so mm -hmm. you get to start depreciating the two million Got it. the moment you put that into service as a revenue generating property. So yeah, awesome. you get to start over. Doesn't matter how many people have owned it. That building still lasts 39 years for you, the taxpayer, and so you get Got to it. take that over 39 years, correct? There's a reason why I so, tax policies. This is why. <laughs> yes. But now the question is, well, I may not be alive in 39 years. Maybe I won't even own the building in 39 years. Okay. So what if I could take my deduction sooner? And the way that we are allowed to do that is through an engineering-based study where we come in and say – all right, I bought this office building for a million dollars. I didn't just get the office, the land and the walls. I also bought a bunch of carpet. I bought mm -hmm. some countertops, some cabinets, some cubicles, all the different components of this building that were in here when I bought it. The IRS says that carpet, for example, should be depreciated over five years, not 39 or 27 and a half. Carpet mm -hmm. doesn't last 39 years. Correct. Appliances don't last 39 years. Cabinets, countertops, there's all these different categories. 
Now, the problem for you and I and our CPA is when I buy that million dollar building, they don't give me a breakout of what I'm paying for. They right. just say, you bought a big asset for a million dollars. And that's typically what happens. I give that closing statement to my CPA. They put mm -hmm. on the books, million dollar building asset. Yeah. They divide it up over 39 years. Cost segregation is the cost segregation firm will come in and put values to all those different components. So outside my window here is a parking lot. When I bought this office building, I bought the parking lot. Yep. So I'm going to say the parking lot is worth $80,000. The flooring sure. is worth $20,000. Sure. The window rings are worth $10,000. I'm going to go through all the different components. Now, all my five-year assets, instead of spreading those deductions out over 39 years, because I've now identified them and put a value to them, I now get to depreciate those over five years. Mm -hmm your assets get depreciated over seven years. My outside or my land improvements get depreciated over 15 years, much faster than a 39-year schedule. Sure. So let's just repeat it. I'm going to K through 12 it to make sure that I can sure. talk in the terms which are much simpler than yours, right? So yes. what we're saying is that a building is made of multiple things. There's nail, yep. there's drywall, there's paint, there's carpet, there's appliances, HVAC, whatnot, right? So uh, right. what we're saying is a straight line depreciation essentially means everything has the same life. A carpet, yep. a nail, a paint, a drywall, everything has 39 years or 27 years or whatever the IRS tells you that, right? Yep. So in cost segregation, the word segregation is we're segregating the lifetime value of items. And there are That's four right. segments, there are four sectors, four segregations that we're building. What we're saying is that what has the lifetime value of five years? What yep. has a life of seven years? What has a life of 15 years? And then everything else, correct? Yep. So now everything else is where it becomes very important for us because now what we're saying is everything else can be determined by the IRS because now we're saying is that everything else could be 27 years, it could be 39.5 years, depending upon right. the asset class that, that that's determined. Now the advantage of doing this segregation is Instead of depreciating it by straight line for 27 and a half years, you now have four different buckets. And certain yep. things you can accelerate much faster in terms of depreciation, and certain things you may not, correct? Correct. And what yep. we're, now, we're now focusing on is the first three buckets. That's where we're maximizing our depreciation. Absolutely. Yeah. Your five-year assets, you get to take one-fifth of those essentially. It's not quite one-fifth. There's a, mm -hmm. some math in there. But essentially, you're taking one-fifth of those for five years, and then it's fully depreciated mm -hmm. versus taking one-thirty-ninth of those assets Correct. over 39 years. Right. And so you're front-loading your depreciation. If you were to own that building for 39 years, at the end of the day, you're taking the same amount of depreciation. Mm -hmm. It's just by doing cost segregation, you're getting your numbers up front. Now, yeah. the reason we want to take those up front socket obviously there's some obvious reasons time value of money mm -hmm. inflation is a hot topic right now a dollar right. today is worth way more than a dollar 39 years from now True. and buy yourself another property it creates cash flow go reinvest mm -hmm. what you would have paid the irs go put that into a new property pay down debt yeah. reinvest it so that's why you would want to accelerate these deductions because it creates cash flow that then you can utilize to create additional mm -hmm. So let's actually go back a few steps. So let's go back to the math, right? So the math we were talking about is you have real income, you have real expenses. Now you have phantom depreciable expense, depreciation as yep. an expense, right? Which is not real, yep. but I mean, you've paid for the building. Uh, you've bought the building, right. but that expense has not occurred yet. It's not a cash right. that you're paying every year. So what we're now saying is that your income, it is what it is. Your expenses are right. what they are. 
but it's a gift from the IRS and our goal is to maximize the depreciation to make the depreciation expense to the extent we can within the legal limits within the, we want to we don't right. want to do anything that we're going outside that tax policy and the advantage of that is it's a dollar to dollar reduction in your net operating income right so if your net operating income before your depreciation was $100,000 and your depreciation expense for that year is $100,000 you essentially basically telling the IRS this property made me no money for right. that year right and so right. then yep. be- because there is no money there's no taxes money but that phantom depreciation like you talked about shows on paper it reduces your taxable income mm-hmm. which you then tell the IRS hey my property made no money I'm going to pay no taxes or my property made less money and I'm going to pay less taxes is usually how. So although the property did make money, you cashing out in that same example, the NOI or cash flow was 100K, that 100K you took out, but you basically didn't pay any taxes because you had 100K of depreciation in that example. So you basically walked away with 100K without paying any taxes. Is that correct? That is correct. Yep. Okay. Yep. The only thing you want to be cautious of, and we won't get too far into this, but you've got what we call passive income and active income. Mm-hmm. And so typically real estate is for most of us treated as passive income unless we are real estate investors full time. Sure. So unless you have real estate professional status for tax purposes, the deductions created in a cost egg study, those depreciation expenses are typically used to offset passive income. Sure. And so if I'm a W-2 earner, I'll say I'm a doctor and I make a half a million dollars a year as a doctor and I own real estate on the side, I can't use those real estate deductions, that depreciation mm-hmm. to offset my doctor income, but I can use it yeah. to offset my rental income that I make from those properties. So just, right. you always want really to keep that in mind when you're talking about depreciation so, so is you've got access as passive. Yeah. So I think let's take an example out of it, right? So let's use the same example. You had a hundred K in cash flow that came out of your rental right. property income expenses, debt, after removing everything, there's a cash flow left. You had $100,000 in depreciation expense, you have zero cash flow, nothing is left, right? That's one example, it's pretty clean. Now the second example, let's just go take a next example where you still had $100,000 of cash flow, but now your depreciation losses, $200,000. Now you're telling the IRS, you have an X, you actually, instead of having a profit of $100,000, you actually have a loss of $100,000, right? To the, on the business. So that, now, I think the stuff that you just talked about was essentially saying, what do I do with that $100,000 in excess loss from the business? Now, that's where I think your thinking comes in, where we were saying is that you have that $100,000. If you have another property that's producing $100,000, you could definitely use that. If the yeah. depreciation on that property was not enough to offset the income. But what we're saying is you have to go talk to your own CPA for that. The ex- in certain cases, if you... The policy allows you to offset your W-2 income, your business income, your active income also. Now, it's not for everyone, but it is possible. And if um, a lot of people use it as a strategy to restructure their own life, to make sure they qualify as a rep. You and I know several doctors where their spouses are becoming rep. It's not an impossible status to gain. It's actually a fairly objective way of doing it. And if you do step one, step two, step three, step four, you're a rep, right? And that's a different episode. I don't want to take time, but I just want to basically say IRS allows you. They're so generous about it that if you become (laughs) a rep status, you can take the depreciation loss from your real estate portfolio, whatever is remaining after all the income that the property produces, to use it to offset your active income. 
And right. that's where I think a lot of people's mind blow up that I'm making yeah. five, 10, 15 million dollars a year. And how do I minimize my taxes in a legal way? I don't want right. to do tax evasion, but I want to do a legal way. And now depreciation becomes a great strategy. And that's where the cost segregation comes in. Yeah. Yeah. Whether you're using it against active or passive, it's very beneficial, but you're right. If you can get real estate professional status or you're married and your spouse has real estate Correct. professional status, and you file a joint tax return. All of a sudden, these deductions can not only be used to offset your rental income, mm-hmm. but let's say I'm a doctor, my wife's a real estate professional. Now our real estate depreciation can offset my W-2 or my doctor income. Correct. So, or if you had a business of a doctor, even then, anything active doesn't have to be just yeah. W-2. Yeah, Any active exactly. income can be offset. Perfect. So now, I think, Eric, thank you for walking us through that. And thank you for keeping the theme simple, because that's our objective. We want to make sure that every investor follows a discussion. They can make their own decisions, right? So now let's talk right. about bonus depreciation, right? So yeah. uh, we have heard, or at least I know my investors have heard, maybe if not all my audience, that there's a straight line depreciation in the order of scale of what it can do for you. But yeah, straight line depreciation cost segregation, and then it's bonus depreciation. So bonus depreciation can even be more effective in the cases that you're able to apply it. So can you help us understand bonus depreciation from your perspective? Bonus depreciation has been around for a number of years. It's a tool that the government uses to stimulate the economy. So if the economy is not doing well, they will increase the bonus percentage and say incentivizes people to go out and buy stuff. So I'll give you some simple numbers. Let's say if the bonus percentage is 50% this year, if I go buy a million dollar bulldozer, then I get to take a 500,000 or 50% write off as a depreciation expense in the first year. The other 50% gets spread out over the useful life of that bulldozer. But there were some changes in 2017, 2018 with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. So you guys are probably familiar. Trump was the president at the time. Mm-hmm. Trump owns a ton of real estate. So the tax law at that time was very favorable to real estate investors. And, and what it means is, Bonus depreciation at the time was 50% and could only be used on brand new assets, meaning you had to go buy a brand new bulldozer. It couldn't be a used bulldozer. It had to be brand new, right off the lot bulldozer. Mm -hmm. And then it had to have a useful life of 20 years or less. And so we've been talking, Socket, about real estate is 27 and a half year useful life or 39 year useful life. So how does bonus apply? Well, bonus applies because if you do a cost segregation study and you break that out into five, seven, and 15-year assets, now those assets at the five, seven, and 15 do have a useful life of 20 years or less, and they're eligible for bonus. So going back, the tax law changed that it no longer had to be brand new. It could be used property, number one. Number two, it changed it from 50% to 100%, which is unheard of. Now, what that means, again, in our example, let's say you buy a million-dollar property, and we determine that there's $200,000 worth of five-year assets. Mm -hmm. Instead of depreciating that $200,000 out over five years, you get to take 100% of that or 100% bonus, all of that depreciation in year one on not only your five-year assets, on your seven-year assets and your 15-year assets. That is so powerful, Eric. Let me just repeat that to make sure what we're saying is that so I think people's mind were blowing up when you talked about from a straight line depreciation of 27 or 39 years all the way down to four categories of five years, seven years, 15 years, and 29, 27 or 39, right? That yeah. was itself a great advantage. Now what we're saying is, oh, by the way, what we could do is 
yes, you could have done x divided by five, x divided by seven, and x divided by fifteen, and brings right. a lot of depreciation up front. What we're basically saying is, IRS is giving us a gift to say, hey, for a limited time, whatever the time is, and we can talk about that. We're basically yeah. saying, bring all of the depreciation from five years, seven year, and fifteen years in year one, the time yeah. you put it on service. That's when it starts. So if you essentially bought a building on December 31st, you've only owned it for one day, you can essentially write it off, bring the entire depreciation for 5, 7 and 15 years way in that same year. Is that correct characterization? You hit it right on the head. It took cost segregation and just put it on steroids. Instead of right. getting one fifth of your 5-year assets or 20%, you're now getting 100% of it in year 1. Correct. Now you talked about the timing which is important. So this tax law took effect any properties placed into service between 927 of 17, so September 27th of 2017 and December 31st of this year 2022. get that 100% bonus. Anything put in service next year, 2023, it drops to 80% bonus and then 2024 it drops to 60 and then talks with this inflation reduction act that was recently passed. There's some timing here. So with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, anything put into service between 927 of 17, so September 27th of 2017 through the end of 1231 2022, so the end of this year is eligible for that 100% bonus. Now starting next year in 2023 it starts to sunset it goes down by 20% down to 80% bonus. So again, you have $100,000 worth of 5-year assets, you get to write off 80,000 of that in year 1. The other leftover 20,000 gets spread out over the next 4 years. Right. So still 80% bonus is very powerful. I mean, cost segregation was powerful before there was any bonus, right? Mm-hmm. It's better to cheat things over 5 years versus 39, but now we're even pushing it forward even more and pushing it all into the first year. So Just be aware it's all based on the in-service date. So anything put into service this year is 100% bonus. Anything put into service next year is 80% and then it mm-hmm. drops slowly after that. Yeah, so Eric, so um the timing is important, right? Because I think what we're basically saying is at some point in time, of course, do not make your decision based on taxes. Uh your investment right. decisions, you have to make the investment decisions outside of taxes. Uh tax right. savings and tax savings become a, a gravy on the top of it, right? So um what we're now saying is that if you were able to buy an asset december 15th or january 15th pick a december 15th this year yeah right if the difference is just that now if you were going to say i'm going to wait for 2 years to buy real estate that's a very different discussion but if it's a matter of few months you want to put it in service by the end of this year which is december 31st is it 1159 pm december yes. 31st perfect as long as you close and it's in service Yeah. you'll get that deduction and and just to give you some quick kind of back of the napkin math let's say you buy a million a property for a million 2 and you determine the land is worth 200,000 so that leaves you a million dollars of depreciable basis when we do a cost segregation study we typically find anywhere from 30 to 35% of those assets we can reclassify into short term assets mm-hmm. because those short term assets are eligible for bonus A million dollar asset is going to get you 300 to 350,000 dollars of depreciation in the first year. Got it. Again, if you have 350,000 of income instead of paying tax on that, which would be around 100,000, buy a property at the end of the year, create that 300,000 dollar deduction, you now are paying tax at zero. You just saved 100,000 in taxes, mm-hmm. which basically covers part of your down payment on that million dollar property, right? Of course. Of course. Yeah. 
So a very as, powerful stuff. Um, as our friend Tom Wheelwright talks about, now you're partnering with the IRS. Yes. Now the IRS is giving you $100,000 back as they are your partners and they don't want anything back in return. Right? right. So that's a beauty of using a cost segregation and bonus depreciation. Now, Eric, um, I know the answer because I use it all the time. What's the difference in, is it more powerful in one asset class versus another? Right. The cost segregation and bonus depreciation. Single family versus multifamily. I'm assuming multifamily, not I, I'm assuming I know multifamily is more powerful. But I would love to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, so kind of the average industry averages around 30% segregation for the different asset lives. Now, if you think about it, what we're segregating is the inside portion. So mm-hmm. an apartment building has a lot more stuff inside of it than a big empty warehouse, right? right? So apartment buildings, we typically segregate somewhere between 35 and 40% where a warehouse might be between 25 and 30%. Right. So the type of asset does make a difference. There are two asset classes that kind of fall outside the norm. One of them is gas stations, Mm -hmm. and the second is car washes. Mm -hmm. So when you buy a million-dollar car wash, what you're essentially buying is parking lots, curbs, gutters, asphalt, and then you're buying equipment. Well, both of those two items are 15-year assets, and because they're less than 20 years, you get bonus depreciation on it. So we've seen some car washes where they bought it for a million two. The land was worth two hundred thousand, which means they had a million dollars worth of basis. They, they could write the off entire. the entire million dollars, which is crazy. So now that is lot, powerful. Yeah, a lot of investors, a lot of high net worth investors, will go buy a car wash or two before the end of the year, mm-hmm. so that they have that million dollars of deduction. They just sheltered a million dollars in tax, or excuse me, a million dollars of income at a thirty-seven percent tax bracket. You just saved three hundred seventy seventy k. Yeah. And that was probably your thirty-seven. That's a thirty-seven percent down payment on that. Yeah, on that million-dollar car wash covers your whole payment. So, give that three hundred and seventy to the IRS, or go buy a car wash at the end of the year and pay. Isn't that funny, Eric? When everyone says that, oh, I make a lot of money, so I should pay taxes. Um, (laughs) I think the holy question. I had Dave Zook on the show. uh, Oh yeah, early in October, and uh, he and I were talking about the same exact thing that. If you want to be a patriot, go buy what IRS wants you to do, which yeah. is they want you to go invest in car washes because they can't buy car washes. They <laughs> right. want you to invest in housing because they can't give everyone a home. That's right. not the business they're in. The government is not in the business to house people. The government is in the business to make sure people get housed. So right. they incentivize people like you and I to go buy a real estate, to go invest in it as an incentive. Right? Correct. It's, not, it's not about who's going to build the road. Because, oh, by the way, when some of the developers are coming in to build a multifamily, the government is not building the roads. The government is asking the developers to go put in the infrastructure to make sure the roads are built. They've already built it. They've already accounted for that because somebody constructed a multifamily. Exactly. No, that's exactly right. The, The government, and this, Tom, I'm sure Tom says this all the time. This is where I got it. The government incentivizes, the government has an agenda. Right. And they get their agenda through by incentivizing us through the tax code to do certain things. So if they want us to build energy efficient homes or buy electric cars, they're going to give you a tax credit if Correct. you buy an electric car. Correct. And so that's how they accomplish their goals is by giving us incentives through the tax code. And that's why it's important to understand that tax yeah, code. Yeah, I always say, man, on top of that, you know, I always say that if you really, really, really felt the tax savings such a bad thing, it's a sin, um, stop taking 401k deductions. <laughs> right, because that's exactly what it does. You're saving yeah. money on taxes, right? 
right. if you really want to go all the way, stop taking tax deductions <laughs> at all, and you'll be fine. Go find single tax returns, not at married filing jointly. Don't pay your right. CPA thousands of dollars to help you save tax. It's like people are unfortunately not being smart. They've been told the story. And that right. story, they haven't really challenged. They're not bringing critical thinking into it. We're basically saying is tax savings is not a sin. It's not right. unpatriotic. Right. If you're doing it the right way. Now, if you start hiding expenses, that's right. not what we're talking about. Yeah. Pushing the envelope is different. But if you're doing stuff that the government wants you to do, like create housing, create jobs, invest in real estate, they're incentivizing you, like you said. And so you are being, in my eyes, more patriotic than if you're Correct. not doing that. Correct, so. correct, correct. Awesome. So Eric, this has been awesome. Um, I'm sure you can talk for another five hours about <laughs> cost segregation because I could see your passion in it. Um, <laughs> we're going to switch your gear a little bit here. So help sure. us understand where can our listeners find you? So if they wanted, actually, you know what? I have one more question. I just thought about it. Um, can single family homes be cost segregated? So if somebody has yeah. a rental portfolio, uh, can it be cost segregated? Yes. Yeah, so single family homes are interesting because before the bonus depreciation that we talked about, so prior to 2017, um, we typically did not do a lot of cost segregation on single family homes. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is the the benefit didn't outweigh the cost. So there's a cost to getting these studies done and you have to have a certain benefit to justify paying that cost. And on smaller single family rentals, because the basis was lower, the tax savings wasn't as high. Now, all of that changed with bonus depreciation because now we can take, like I said, it put this on steroids. So now we're getting a big enough deduction on those single family homes mm-hmm. to justify paying for a study. And so we do everything now from $200,000 single family homes up to you know large ski resorts with multiple lots. And so, yes, single family homes, not all single family homes, and it does depend on your tax situation. Maybe you've sure. got passive loss limitations, but... It's worth having an analysis done and it's worth looking into if you have a single family home over about 200000 in basis. And uh, Eric, in your firm, at your firm, and when people are engaging with you, do you do the first analysis at, as a complementary analysis where they can see if there's a cost benefit? Absolutely, yeah. So we never want to engage a client if they're not going to save significant tax dollars. And so we'll always take a look at your property, gather some numbers from you, run an analysis to say, okay, conservatively, we're going to save you X amount of tax. Here's what our fee would be. And then we work with CPA to determine if now is the best time. And that's, that is one thing I want to add, Socket, is it's not a matter of if you should do cost segregation. It's a matter of when. And cost segregation is one of the few tools that I know of. You can kind of keep it in your back pocket. You don't have to do it the year you buy it. Mm-hmm. You can do cost segregation in year four of ownership. Maybe you have a big income year in year four and you've got all this income and you need a, a deduction. Cost segregation is very flexible in terms of tax planning and tax strategy. So keep that in mind. It's one of the few expenses, paper expenses, where you can pick and choose. If I go rebuild the deck on my rental unit, I have Mm -hmm. to take that expense in the year I rebuild the deck. But cost segregation, if I don't have a lot of income this year, I just keep it in my pocket. And then maybe next year when I sell an asset, have a big capital gain or I've paid down some of my mortgages and so now they're cash flowing and so I've got more income coming in. That's when you play that cost segregation card. So it's very flexible in terms of That's when- interesting. So how does that work, Eric? And maybe it's an accountant question or CPA question, but I know you have that background, so I'll just ask it. Let's say I buy a single family home, which is 27 and a half years, straight yep. line depreciation. So I buy that house and I've already started depreciating in year one. 
but now I do a cost second year four. Do I now recharacterize the depreciation? Yeah. So basically what you get to do, the IRS allows you to do what they call an automatic change consent. So there's a form, it's a 3115 tax form. And it basically tells the IRS, it's called the change in accounting method form. But that form says, hey, I've been taking my straight line number for the last four years. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to accelerate my depreciation by doing a cost segregation study. Here's the difference in what I took and what I should have taken. Mm -hmm. And you can put that on your current tax return without ever having to go back and amend any prior years, which is great. That's awesome. So what we're now saying is, until this episode, if people didn't know about cost segregation, and let's say you have a portfolio of 5, 10, 20, or even one property, a rental property, you can now come to someone like an Eric. I would prefer it just Eric because I love him and his firm. You come to Eric and he basically does an analysis for you. Now, you may not be able to take a bonus depreciation anymore because it's only in the year of service, but the cost segregation yet is still very powerful. I know I have benefited one of the property that I did. I got probably over $150,000 back after year four of when I did it. Yeah. So it does help. It does add up. So do not consider this as something that's not allowed by the IRS. They prefer it. It's actually, and Eric, you correct me if I'm wrong. This is what the right way to take depreciation. Straight line is not the right way. Straight line is the right way for your walls. It's not the right way for your carpet. Correct. So when we fill out that form that said that 3115 form, we're actually marking a box that says we're going from a permissible method, or excuse me, an impermissible method of depreciation to a permissible method. Basically saying we were depreciating our five-year carpet over 39 years. That was wrong. Mm -hmm. We're now going to fix it. And here's the difference in the numbers. Now, the IRS isn't going to tell you it's wrong because that's sure. just more money in their coffers. Mm -hmm. But that is what's happening. We're going from an impermissible method of depreciation to permissible. Now, the reason your CPA doesn't do that automatically is because they don't have the expertise. Your CPA sure. is kind of like the general practitioner. They know a little bit about a lot, mm -hmm. but you give them a closing statement saying you bought a million-dollar office building. They have no clue what the asphalt's right. worth that's been there for right. 10 years. They don't know the value of that. And so that's why they don't do that. But it's important to get a third party to come in and do that so you can take advantage of yeah, it. Yeah, I think if your CPA has not told you a bonus depreciation yet, or cost segregation, it's time to upgrade and talk to us. We'll help you connect with the CPAs that we work with um, all the time. So Eric, switching gears, where can people find you? Sure. No, that's a great question. So you can find me on my website. So we have cost segregation authority. It's just costsegauthority.com. So www.costsegauthority.com. My contact information's on there. Um, my cell phone's on there. Give me a call. If you guys ever have any questions about real estate or real estate tax, give us a call because we're happy to be a resource. We don't bill by the hour or anything crazy like that. So um, use us as a resource, definitely. I don't know. Eric Eric is not just saying that. He he has listed his cell phone. He does respond to the cell phone. It's a real number. I know that because I've called Eric sometimes in panic. So it does work. And I, I hope that everyone can reach out to you and explore what cost segregation, bonus depreciation can do for them. So Absolutely. Eric, with that said, we're going to end up coming towards the end of our show. So we ended uh, the show with two questions always. Well, the first question really is, Eric, what is the one thing that you would tell your 20-year-old self which will make their migration in life more productive? I'm, not, I'm choosing the word very carefully. It's not <laughs> easy because migration is never easy. Sure. Um, right? What would that advice be? So 
I unfortunately learned this lesson the hard way, so I'll give you my example, but all of us are good at certain things and find out what it is you're good at and then outsource everything else. I love <laughs> so that. I'm not good at marketing, and mm. so I'm going to outsource my marketing. I can't be good at marketing, accounting, tax, and real estate. Sure. Right? I just don't have the bandwidth. Yeah. So find out what it is that you're good at, be an expert in that, and then surround yourself with other experts. And so I tell that story. I'll never forget, I was just in college, didn't have a lot of money, wanted a nice new stereo in my car, mm. bought these great speakers, a new stereo, and they wanted $250 to install it. And I didn't have the money. I said, I can do this. How hard is it? Just run some wires from the battery to the trunk. It's easy. I spent two days ripping my car apart trying to figure out how to get the battery from the, or excuse me, the wire from the battery wow. to the trunk. I was underneath the car. I was going to drill holes in the car. It was an absolute mess. I called the people with my tail between my legs because I just wanted to save the $250. Yeah. I said, hey, I've been working on this for the last two days, spending eight hours a day. How do I get this wire from my battery to the trunk? And they told me how to do it. And within 15 minutes, I had it done. Yeah. Don't try and do your own taxes. Pay it. Get a CPA who understands real estate. They're probably a little more than the CPAs you find out or the tax preparers yeah. you find Walmart, you know, at the H&R blocks. But pay the money. Get it done right. Because in the long run, you're going to save time, money, and headache all the time. So oh, I agree. That's, that's actually a great insight because most of us, you know, the traditional education system forces us to improve on our weaknesses. Right. I think what you're basically saying is weaknesses are there. And yes, some weaknesses are worth uh, accommodating for and, and make, turning them around. But at some point in your life, you're going to come a point where you need to start focusing on your strengths because yes. that's a much better way of living. And then for, other, for your weaknesses or your weak spots, your blind spots, you partner up with people or you hire right. people or you outsource something where they can cover for your blind spot. Right. And it's important. You said it perfect, but it's important to know your weaknesses. A lot of us Definitely. don't identify our weaknesses. Definitely. We're like, oh, I can do the marketing piece of yeah. my business. How hard can that be? Yeah. There's people who go to school to do marketing. You went to school to, to do math or whatever. Don't let right. your marketing person do your marketing. So that's been the biggest thing is being humble enough to identify and say, yeah, that is a weakness. Eric, you're right. not the great marketer. My graphic design work is not very good at all. So stop sure. making flyers, Eric. Let people who do that for a living do it. Of course. So, you're good at critiquing. You tell them it doesn't fit your bill. I don't like it. But right. let, them, let them spin their wheels and they'll yeah. they come with something different. Next yeah. question, Eric, is what is your one wish for humanity to migrate towards? You know, that's a good question. And it's funny you ask that. I wish that I'll just go back to one of my favorite, the John Lennon song, um, Imagine All the People. But we all have these different visions of religion and race and all these different things. And just if we could just look at everybody as humans and not different races, religions, sexual orientation, all that stuff, we're all just humans at the end. We all right. bleed red. We've all got red blood inside of our bodies. And so being able to try to bring, I mean, one of the lines from that John Lennon song is, can you imagine the world without borders? If we didn't have countries, we wouldn't be fighting over resources, right? We'd all yeah. be the same country, the same resources. Right. And so just bringing everybody together, doing my part, doing your part, you know, we all have to do our own part. I think about it and I think, wow, that's an overwhelming task, but what can I do just in my day-to-day -day life to do my portion? That's all I can control. I can't control what the government does. Yeah. I can't control right. what other people do, but I can control how I treat other people. And so just trying to keep that in mind, that's my personal goal for humanity. Eric, that's awesome. And on that high note, 
I want to thank you again for coming on our show. For as a reminder for our listeners, you can find Eric at Cost Seg. It's not Segregation Authority. It's Cost Seg Authority. S E G Authority. dot com. Um, you can find his phone number. You can find his home address. I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> you can find his information on the website, and we'll make sure that we also include that information in the show notes below. Thank you very much. I know you're a busy man, especially uh, you just finished up the tax seasons, all the yeah. cost sex studies. But I hope that some of our listeners contact you to take advantage of the cost sex studies. All right, I appreciate. It. Thanks, Saga, for having me on. It's okay. been great. Thank you. Have a good one. If you got value from this episode, you might consider sharing this content with a friend. But most importantly, be sure to take action on what you've learned. One way you can take the next step is to connect directly with Socket on an investor call. That link is waiting for you in the show notes below. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Please consult your own advisors when making any investment decisions. Keep listening. We'll see you on the next episode.